here we all are. I hope you're well, as we are back for another round of What Will Robbie and Ida Get Up To Today? <sighs> Did you just belch before we started our podcast? Yeah, I, I just thought I'd get it out, because our listeners don't need to hear that. I just thought but I'd... But I do. And we're off. Little insight into what happens there once that red record button gets pressed. Hello, I am Sarah Milliken and I have the honour of listening in on the Williamses with you all and helping to decipher any of the strangeness if needed. I do also have to be the one to warn any of our younger listeners or those responsible for the young'uns that there will be some swearing. There always is. We've all been there. This episode, Robbie and Ida are sharing what it's been like for them to work from home or work from mansion, which is more accurate, let's face it, belching notwithstanding. I just thought I'd get it out of the way. But you got it out of the way in my face just now. I'm a professional. You're a professional belcher. Yeah, no, I'm a professional. I don't, I don't. Oh, you don't want to belch for the people? Yeah. Just for the missus? Yeah. Wait, can I, can we just discuss? I'm not even sure. If it makes the podcast, it means we're, we really don't give two fucks and we've included this. Speaking of your excrements, and I think you know where this is going, Robbie Williams. Wow. Yeah. You have gotten into a very bad habit with me. For years now, but it's gotten worse and worse as you've gotten older of farting all day long. But not just like farting. You do the pause. You lift your leg. You know, it's it's not like a little, pssst, it's like a full on like, <laughs> and you, you're quite proud. Like you take the pause to smell it. You, you think it's funny. And it's not just like a little bit of farting. It's not just like every now and then in the day. It's, it's pretty much become a constant stream. Like if I were to put money on it, I would time it at every three minutes. You let out what is at least a five to 10 second fart. And you, and you, and you think it's cute. You were laughing about it. I was begging you yesterday to take charcoal pills because in my opinion, well, you did after this episode happened. Well, when you went ballistic, yeah. Well, let me tell you why I went ballistic. And I think the people will agree with me. Yesterday, you were laughing at my resistance to your farting in my face constantly. And you went to charge your computer by the bed. You squat down and you thought it'd be really funny because, oh, here comes another fart. And you let out a massive fart. But in that fart, you shat on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. If you thought you'd been annoyed with your partner at all during lockdown, let's just put that into context. Well, a Robbie context at least. Did they shit on the floor? No, I think we're good. I feel I should also expand my warning from earlier, maybe if you're eating. If that's a thing you tend to do while you're listening to a podcast, maybe pause it. Because I get a sense we're going to stay in this area for a little while. You're laughing right now again. Let's just, let's just, just let me just say it again. Mm. You shat on the floor last night. No, in front of me. No, you shat on the floor. No, I didn't. You did. You, you don't even try. At this point, don't even try. It's, because- a, bo- it's a bottom, isn't it? It's a bottom. When you are, it's my it's, bottom. It's literally bottom. your bottom. It's your bottom's bottom. What do you have to say for yourself, Robbie Williams? Well, I, I just like, you still think it's funny. Look I, at you. I you would th- just like to say on on behalf of me that that wasn't shit on the ground. Babe, don't even try it. I saw it with my the, own eyes. The wood grain <laughs> on this particular floor. There is speckles of brown. <laughs> that, that smear that move with the tissue. That are actually, you moved the grain with the tissue? What you were looking at was a different grain and because the lighting <laughs> in the room wasn't babe, so great. Babe, there was a smear and it moved when you moved the tissue. I Babe, don't you need to have some ownership here. Look, I, this, did, I, I did have a dicky tummy last night. You did not have a dicky tummy. I did have a dicky tummy. 
just when you think you've heard it all, eh? Ida wasn't taking any of that crap. Pun fully intended. And I do hope it was Robbie who cleaned up after himself at the very least. But my question is, do you think because we're now working from home as opposed to going out because we've been in quarantine and we've been spending time at home, do you feel like you are so relaxed in this homework environment that you can just shit all day long, fart all day long and, and get, and get, and get stuff done because no one can see or hear what you're doing to me. I, I, I'll just take this opportunity to say that you're gaslighting my farting problem. <laughs> I'm gaslighting you. Yeah. I mean, I'm enjoying the double entendre on yeah, that. Thank you very much. But it, it's noted, but also, um, no. I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it brings up an interesting topic, actually, working from home. I mean, I'd like to point out that while we're doing this podcast, you actually are in your underpants. Yeah. Cross-legged. Yeah. Uh, I, are... I am exploring the benefits of working from home. Normally, if I was on the television right mm-hmm. now, I'd have a nice suit on. Mm-hmm. Let's just say I'd mm-hmm. be styled to the max. Mm-hmm. My hair would be coiffured. Mm-hmm. But here I am. With a week's growth of stubble, Mm -hmm. my underpants on, my bare legs exposed. Mm -hmm. You actually kind of look like you're about to put some stockings on. For some reason, the way your legs are crossed. It's a very feminine It's a very, you're in a pink chair, your legs are crossed, and it it does, it looks like you're about to put on some stockings, a pair of shoes, and just explore. I think that the term work for what we do is... um, it's not a suitable term, really. It is what we do. It's actually work. Well, we're working from home. Like, this we, podcast is at home. Yeah. There is cat litter next to us. As as we sit and and record this, there's a cat, there's a dog, there's litter, there's cat food. There's a slight smell of poo, which isn't mine. For a change. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, the working from home situation. Have I done much work in COVID? Yeah, well, first of all, you started with doing Corona Oki sessions daily. Which I loved doing. And they were like two or three hours long. Yes, they were. And then you've gone on to write something like 60 songs in quarantine. Wrote 27 songs in four weeks, 50 songs all together. That's what I'm saying. And we've been doing our podcast. I've been doing my podcast. Yeah. I've been working on other stuff. You've been working on other stuff. So we have ineffectively, effectively been working from home. Which normally, I mean, you and I don't really go to an office to work because that's kind of the nature of our jobs. We don't nine to five it. But usually you're on the road, you're in meetings outside of the house, I'm in meetings outside of the house, and all of our activity has been contained in bedrooms and kitchens and dining rooms. I did the take that live stream, remember that? That's right, you did. I did the take that live stream. I always love getting together with my brothers. There is a chemistry that we share that I feel very comfortable in. I have a question. Do you think that your Take That Brothers would shit on the floor in front oh, of their... W- just I'm Just let saying. it go. Just, I'm just asking. I would so, definitely would. From a work-from-home situation, you'd think he'd shit in Katie's face yeah, all and, day long. And Katie would applaud him. Mm-hmm. Now, now, now we're just talking silly talk. Well, listen... Now, now, now I think you've eaten too much cake. Well, I did the uh, Take That live stream. Yeah. And um, it was incredibly... Uh, different, different, let's just say that, because I was in my basement, our basement Thank at you. our home in the hills of Beverly Shire, 90210, mate. And <laughs> um, I was singing into an iPhone. 
Yeah. Uh, which is a lot different from being at Wembley Stadium, sending in to 80,000 people. You've actually got to um, imagine the joy from the fans at home. Got to be creative, isn't it? You've like- got to be creative. You've got to have the vision to know that this, although this feels stilted in your room, there's going to be lots of people that have followed us for you know decades now that are going to enjoy this thing. And it, I, I think they did. Did you feel like you were more nervous performing from home because you didn't have that live audience reaction? Or were you less nervous because you didn't have 80,000 people looking no, at you? The only thing I was nervous about was getting the bit, the backing vocals right and coming in at the right place, which I actually didn't do. <laughs> but I don't think it made that much of a difference. I think I got like 85% of it right, the BVs. It's been a while. I know we got back together on tour for the Progress that was, But tour. that was even that was like nine years ago. Exactly. Yeah. So I haven't sung those backing vocals for nine years and now I've got to remember them. And even on the Progress Tour, I didn't know what they were. <laughs> I, I just made, whenever I was like, oh, I'm not going to get this right, I just looked at the audience and with that overwhelmed face, like, oh, this is <laughs> amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? It's it just is. So, um, yeah. The only thing that I was nervous about was was being judged by Gary Barlow for getting the <laughs> words wrong, the BVs wrong, uh, the ch- the the tune wrong, the tuning wrong, the tuning wrong, being out of key. But you know, I, I say this all the time: music is a time machine, and why? Why, fortunately, as a forty-six-year-old, people love nostalgia, and I'm one of those people. I love nostalgia. I happen to be in the time machine, helping to drive it at that particular moment, listening to songs like "Pray" as Gary sings it, and then doing the BVs. It just takes you back, you know. You mean you want to watch your back, as Gwen would say? Watch. watch That's your what back. I was going to say. Is while you were doing the gig, you know, because it's so nice to hear it hear you describe it as being inside the time machine and reliving those experiences, even though it was in quarantine and you were doing it on an iPhone and it was in our house, not in a stadium. Did you, did you experience those same feelings of nostalgia? Did you, did you go to a place of, of being that kid in that band and feeling that brotherhood? Like what was the, what was the emotional? Cause I know it's, it's different. Like we were just talking about, you don't have the fans. We, did you have an emotional experience? In- we know you can't, you kind of, you kind of, we, we have roles in Take That. And you know, like with my solo career, I'm kind of, well, I am the boss. You know, I'm like a, I'm a, like a jovial dictator. I'm a yeah, kind, you are. I'm a kind dictator <laughs> yeah, yeah. in my band. But everybody comes to me with the, what should we do? How should it appear? Da, 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 da. You know. Yeah, and you're then, the head, head at the top I'm of the, the body. I'm head, the head honcho. Then instantly when I'm in Take That, I'm the youngest member That's of Take so That. That's so funny. Even as a 46-year-old. So as a 46-year-old, I'm you the still, annoying little brother. Do you still feel like that when you're with the boys? Are you? Do you revert to old patterns of, I'm that annoying little kid? Well, I, I revert to like... Deferring be, to Gary. Or deferring def- to Gary, being yeah. quite subservient, but at the time poking the fire every now and again to go, oi, I exist. I'm here. I mean, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a puppy that's trying to join the pack. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's completely what happens. But I enjoy that role too. Well, it must be kind of nice because not that the pressure's off, but, but it doesn't all depend on your shoulders. It doesn't all rest with you. You kind of have to 
forge forge your identity in a different way that's kind of they also they also get to speak to me in a different way than most people speak to me because they, they're on a level with you yeah. as opposed to you being you being kind of the boss you're all co-workers yeah we're all co-workers and like they they speak to me like you speak to me which is you'll go oh yeah well that's a bit embarrassing that you did that isn't it you know or yeah. or, or, or you there's know there's no there's no like yeah, there's no like wall where they feel like there's, they can't say something. There's, there's, I, I, I'm accountable to those boys. Yeah. Especially when I go away and do interviews and I say things and then I come back oh, and, and no. then I have to apologize for saying things. Yeah. I, I said something that I won't repeat. Yeah. There's nothing bad. We but know what did, it was. Yeah. But it was like, I was saying, look, I only meant this. And he went, well, you do say things, don't you, Rob? It was like Gaz yeah, going, yeah. you know. It's like your big brother uh, kind of always, going, You always say things. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I yeah, do. do. And instantly I, I kind of felt like, I, I, I know I was loved through it and he wasn't having a go at me in any way. But I, and I quite like the fact that I was little brother. Yeah, it's nice. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, so I did that. Sorry, fellas. It's also nice to be... It's nice to be you and judged on you for you, not as, as you know, maybe some people might have a response to you that's not even reverential, but just because you're you, they won't say certain things or they won't make you accountable in that way or they won't, they won't, they won't kind of see you in a 360 in the same way. Well, also, you know, it's like if I say something, normally it's, Great idea, let's do that. Yeah, and, and they'll uh, go. And with the lads that go, no, I don't fancy it. I'm like, hmm, okay. I thought it was fucking brilliant. That's, yeah, It's interesting. So I'm kind of like the other member of Take That for you. Yes, yes, exactly. That just, just can't sing. I'm very happy in that role, though. I like you in that role. It's, it's a different energy. All I know is that when I've been in the presence of all of you, the entire band, I have really loved the brotherhood that you all share. You're all you're all different but the same, which I can't quite explain. There's a definite through line. When Jason's in the band, I would say that Gary's daddy, Jason's mummy, and Howard, Mark, and me are like... Uh, the an, three little mice? Annoy, the naughty? Annoying brothers. Are you the most annoying? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I am because I'm slightly emboldened now as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas before I didn't have a leg to stand on. Now I kind of do. Now you have two hairy but, legs and Versace underpants but to stand this, on. But at the same time, I'm still like annoying brother. <laughs> I love that. I love also when you, I love that you like, you love the cheekiness of you being the annoying younger brother. Yeah, I like playing that role. There is a real family vibe amongst... Um, all of you, and I really enjoy that dynamic. I think the, the the dynamic of the roles are all needed too, but I, I think I think there's bits of us that sort of rebel against the roles that are needed to be done. I want to be the Gary Barlow. I, I want to be matriarch patriarch. Yeah, I want to be matriarch patriarch. I want to be responsible brother. But I only want to be responsible for, for five, five minutes. minutes. Yeah, and then I want to give it back to Gary. Do you think? Do you think I would imagine? And actually, I should have asked Gary this um, in my podcast. But do you think, which is postcards from the edge, small plug. Um, do you think Gary, I would imagine yes, has wanted to be the rebellious, cheeky chap in the band? I don't think he's ever wanted to be the rebellious, cheeky really? chap in the band. You don't band. think there's been a moment where he's like, well, yeah, I want to, I want to try that on for size. No, no, really? never, never. He's just so, he knows who he is as a person. And he, he's also the kind of person that would be like, what? He, he wouldn't understand the element of wanting to try those pants on. He'd be just like, no, this is this is this is my lane. Let's, this is what I let's do. Let's keep the, the Let's just listen, if I don't keep this boat afloat, it's gonna sink. 
Right. So why don't I just keep this boat afloat? I don't think there's been any moment in Gary's life where he's gone, I want to go out until seven o'clock in the morning. No, I don't mean that, but be the kind of like... <laughs> no, no, no I, I, told, yeah. I totally get it. I totally get it. There's the, the, No, Gary's never diverted from he's being just, Gary Barlow. He's in that lane. Yeah. Do you think any of the other boys have kind of looked at you or looked at Gary or looked at each other and gone, well, why can't I be that? I want to be that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely in the early days. Um, who do you think's the least responsible out of the whole of Take That? You. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's That's kind of a no-brainer, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you think is the least responsible out of all the boys? Me. Yes, I yeah, think we all agree. Me, me. At least there's a consensus on that. I think the test might be, do other members of Take That shit on the floor? Gary wouldn't, would he? <laughs> So you were just talking about postcards from the edge. Have yeah. you found doing like Zoom interviews weird, difficult, good? Do you know what? I, at first it took a, you know, because obviously lockdown happened, but but podcasts, they keep on rolling. They don't, uh, they don't wait for quarantine. Um, my first podcast, I won't say which guest because there have been several guests I've done in podcast, in podcast quarantine land. It was a bit weird because I was so used to, you know, the other ones so used to in, per, you know, just like, just like you in a gig, it's not the same as 80,000 people, but there's a certain energy. Like when we're just talking right now, I'm looking at your eyes, you're looking at mine, we're vibing off of each other. There's a, there's a palpable energy when any two people are in a room, you know, you know, whatever it is that you create with another person is, there is a invisible feeling. And so I very much thrived off of that when I was doing postcards from the edge before quarantine. Um, and it took a beat to kind of watch someone on a screen from zoom. And there's, you know, there can be sometimes internet connection lags and you can say something and there's like a five second delay. So it took a, it took a, um, a beat to kind of in, in the first one to kind of go, Oh, this is, this is how we do it. And obviously same thing. There's no microphones. There's just an iPhone. But I have to say that I've really, since then, really enjoyed doing the podcasts um, from quarantine because in quarantine, I feel like there's been such little interaction with people that when I do these podcasts, I feel as though I'm with someone else and I'm getting to laugh with them in an environment where I otherwise haven't had any human storytelling like that and human connection like that you know everything everything that we've done has been essential bereft of physical touch from your partner is that what you're saying yes yes that's what i'm saying did you were you nervous about doing the first one for sure i was very nervous about doing the first podcast of postcards from the edge in quarantine i just thought because you know you know some people that i do my podcasts i know and some people i've not really spent time with or met so you know the, the first one was someone I didn't know as well in terms of hang I, I know, know every person I've done my podcast, but this was maybe the person I'd spent the least time with physically. And it'd been a long time since I'd ever even come into contact with them. So it was like almost like a weird, nervous, blind date. Like I, I, I've never done a, you know, we met before there was tons of internet dating. I imagine people now are having to meet on Zoom and check each other out. But it was kind of that like, well, what if that person thinks I'm not funny or doesn't want to tell me stories or we have no connection and we're just doing it online? Uh, And have you found that to be the case or not? No, all those, you know, pre-podcast jitters go away after about five minutes. And uh, and yeah, it was good. But I was, yes, I was very nervous. So do you you still have uh, any element of doubt or anxiety now when you're about to do a postcards from the edge? 
Listen, I always am filled with insecurity and doubt because that's why I love you. It's my neuroses. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I am, (laughs) I am incredibly critical of myself. I, I doubt my capabilities constantly. So before I do anything professional, whether it's a podcast or an episode of something or in anything, I think, wow, I'm shit. Wow, wow, I'm shit. I can't do this. Has that got any less in your, um, it, yeah, it, as I've gotten got older, a bit older. Yeah, definitely. I, I'd say what's what's gotten less is is though I kind of have those momentary thoughts ahead of time, I'm also okay, more okay with, yeah, well stuff, I'm shit, I'm shit. Whereas before I you know, it really mattered to me what other people thought and that I be perfect at everything. And now it's like I want to be perfect at everything, but I'm also okay if I'm not. Well, also before have you noticed a difference? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. But before, your life literally depended on it. Yeah, true. I mean, that is that is also that was that, for sure. there was I mean, there was high stakes. There was it, it absolutely. It's the Hunger Games. You know, when you're a self-employed actress and you support yourself and you help out your mom, you know, when you're you're paycheck to paycheck on whatever you gig gig you get or don't get, mm-hmm. there is a certain kind of um, severity to the environment. You know, there are times when I did really well and I was making lots of money. And there It's were... kind of animalistic. It's yeah. kind of like if I don't bring down this bear, I don't eat. A hundred percent. You know, if I don't... So it's fight or flight. It's definitely... I, I spent many years in fight or flight mode. There were times when I was making, as I said, lots of money and thriving and doing well and work was a plenty. Um, and that was great, but you always knew in the back of your head that could end at some point. And then there'd be times in between jobs when you were like, will I ever get another job? I mean, there's no guarantee when you're freelance, especially as an actress. But at the same time, I'm actually grateful for the dysfunction of the perfectionism because on a certain level, it got me to where I went to in my career, you know, in school. And, you know, there was, there is a, you can't, I'm not, I'm not promoting perfectionism because I think it's unhealthy, but, you know, I can't completely disregard it as destructive because actually there were a few silver linings to it. And I think with you too, like your self-doubt, like if you imagine yourself today, can you imagine, like, what do you think your career okay, would well, have been? For, for example, where perfectionism has done you the world of good is not only um, was I attracted to your physical beauty, but your smarts was incredibly intoxicating Aww. as well. You know, the the fact that you finished at the top of your class and then went to a very, very big and hard university to get into and that you speak a few different languages and you can add add and subtract (laughs) and I can't. You know, just your education that you received and flourished in and the academic side of you is is very, uh, very sexy. You know, I love that you think that's sexy, by the way, because I have to say in Los Angeles, which is a very strange town that I'm from, there's a lot of men that don't find that sexy, that don't find smart women sexy, that want an audience member, not a participant and i i really love hearing that you thought my my intelligence was sexy yeah and also you match that with a bit of brokenness and a bit of sweetness and and a bit of unsure you know i always say to you when you're unsure about going to get jobs and things i say babe you're overqualified for this gig and whatever gig that you go for you are overqualified for i enjoy saying that and actually meaning it so all of that combined with the kindness and the sweetness and the tenderness and the and the and the the little bit of brokenness that you have was you know it's that that personality too it it, it's all the ingredients that went into you to make me go yep 
that Aww. one. I'm going to do that one for life now. I'm having a huge love attack, Mr. Aww, Williams. Oh, baby. Huge yeah. love attack. I feel so grateful that, so, so you're that perfect- I get you. I get to have you as my love in my life. That's so cool. You're really cool. And I would just like to take this opportunity to add to Ida's observations there that women being smart is simply natural. So if any men can't get on board with that, well, get over yourselves. More wisdom next, genuinely, from Robbie. I often think that the second 20 years of your life are spent sorting out the first 20 years of your life because, you know, there is a safety in the um, dysfunction that are families. Yeah, it's uh, a protective shield. There's a protective shield and then you're released into the world and then you have to figure out who you are on this planet as a young adult. And it feels like you have to figure it out right away. Like when you, obviously now that I'm I'm 40, I'm 41, now that I'm 41, I know that you don't have to have it figured out when you're 18 or 21. But when you are that age, or when you're heading even towards that age, you're like walking off a cliff and you just get shot out and you're like, uh, I'm supposed to have a, a career and job and find love and, and, and pay taxes. And you're supposed to just go. It's very alarming. Fortunately, when you're 18, 19, 20, you okay. think you know it all. Oh, I thought you were going to say, fortunately, when you're 18, 19, you're in a huge band. with. No, 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 no. Fortunately, yeah. when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, you, I, I actually thought, well, I actually that's, thought I knew more then than I know maybe now. Maybe that's why the ego is 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 good. Maybe that's why you 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 do the ego dwindles as you get older, but you have to have that ego of I know it all because it's the only way you can actually survive. It's the only like kind of panto you have to get through it. That's the, the one of the mainstays for me when I'm on stage, even to this day. I feel as though I'm performing for my life. You are. Yeah, which is is what I've always taken with me. And once again, it's a sort of animal instinct. Yeah. But when I'm on stage, it's like, get this right or everyone dies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, if you stand back from that equation, it's not the truth, but it kind of is, you know, and it and it as a performer, it is, you know, you 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 I think the only way to to truly be authentic in a performance is to be present, but also to to completely and 100% commit to it. And the only way you can commit to it, I think emotionally and physically, is for it to be a flight or a flight mode. You have to give 100% because you're so vulnerable. You're so exposed, whether it's on a TV show and millions of people watching it at home or on a stage where 80,000 people have paid to go see you. It's like you have to be fully committed to them in those moments. You're you're climbing a cliff and you've got no carabiner and no line. So you've got to go. You've just got your chalk and your fingertips. Yeah. But it's as scary as that sounds. It's exhilarating. I was just going to say it's really exciting. It's what makes it so great. Yeah, it it, it is. It's a high. Yeah. It's that adrenaline. Like, I think that's why performers, like you've talked about too, you know, struggle to sleep after a gig. You know, it's like you're in this, it's like like if a bear chased you in the woods and then all of a sudden- For two hours. For two hours and it stopped, you probably wouldn't be able to like fall asleep 30 seconds later. You'd probably have to like- Yeah, that's how live gigs do. You know what I mean? The bear is chasing me. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 you probably, I couldn't just like like have a cup of tea and be like right night everybody I'm off to bed. Here's what strikes me as loosely talking about working in um quarantine. in lock in quarantine is I could do with a bit more. I could do with a bit more work. Yeah, you I know, get that. Like I there's a lot do of limitations of structure yeah, because I get that. it's like ad hoc cuz my job is my job. Yeah, I get it. which needs an audience. Yeah. Audiences can't get together obviously right, right. now. Yeah. So uh, in many ways, I've got to do so many things with my family this year that maybe in my whole lifetime, 
I would never have got to do for this amount We've of time. We've never, apart from the first few years of our relationship when we were just in a love bubble and we didn't have kids and you had kind of decided you were going to retire, we have never as a family spent this kind of time together without you having to go off and travel for work or for me having to go off and travel for work, it being interspersed. And that's been huge, like amazing and and wonderful. I know what you're saying about like, because you and I are are so used to being busybodies with our work, especially you, you know, this craving, this itching to be with other people, to perform live, to do gigs, to, you know, and same with me, like even, you know, even auditions normally suck, but I'd probably take one of those just to go outside and, you know, flex my muscles and, you know, do the funny thing and put myself out there in that way. Because there is kind of an excitement. God forbid that this carries on and there's a second wave or the vaccine doesn't come out quick enough. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to figure out a day-to-day bit of work that we do for us to give us purpose more than anything. Yeah, purpose is important. I mean, I know in the beginning of quarantine, we kind of talked about structuring our days and how important that was, which it is. But now it's like that next deepened level is, okay, we figured out how to structure our days where, you know, now we're lucky enough to be able to go, go for a walk you know, we don't have, you know, we, I was doing my working out, but now I can be in nature. And, you know, there's certain things that are a little more flexible, but, but still that human contact is at, at a distance, you know, we can't really participate. And I, I'm with you. We've got to come up with a plan because, because purpose is, is powerful. It is very well put, I'd say. Well, we've certainly run the gamut of chat so far this week. Started low, but coming back strong now, even on a wise high. Right. Where were we? Ah, yes, the trials and tribulations of working from home in all its many guises. But we never did get the full detail on those 50 songs that Robbie has written. So, happily, strap in for some pretty cool Robbie music news. Okay, so one of the things that you've been doing as your work from home that you touched on um, is you've written about 50 songs for the new album. What can you tell us about the new album? Well, like 27 of those songs were done in less than four weeks. And it was, you You were sat next to me in We bed. did, by the way, we did them in, we, I mean, obviously it wasn't. Well, actually, you we did, did one of them. We did a song together. Yeah, we did well, a we song together. I wrote a song with you, which I was really chuffed about because. It might be a single too. I know. How cool would that be? Mm-hmm. Can I put it out there? That would just be cool as a little, just A, it's cool to do with you. B, as a feather in mommy's cap, because I mean, I'm never going to write a song otherwise. In fact, the writing credits might say. Barlow, Williams, Williams. Hey, give me five. That would be cool. You're only getting half a percent. Yeah, but I already get 50%, so it's fine. Here's the thing that's (laughs) happened in lockdown, having this much time. I have now got, I would say, I've got four or five albums worth of material, but I've got two definite different types you have two, of this, music. This album has been very interesting because, by the way, this album should just be, this album was written in bed. Um, it was... Well, but here's, here's the thing about the two different style of music. Yeah. I would say, I've written like things that sound like singles, hits, like pop AF. It's pop yeah. A, pop in its purest. Yeah. Just like, okay, I'm going to take gain away. Any elements of call and not worry about being judged and just make a pop record. Yeah. I've made that record. Alongside it, which you don't dig as much, I don't think, I've done what I would deem to be worthy. Right. Brackets, uh, closed brackets. Yeah. A worthy album. I'll yeah. tell you the difference between the two. 
there is a music that I've been doing that's kind of dance orientated yeah. and kind of ambient, a little bit housey. And what I've done is I've taken out the nod and the wink in all of my lyrics. Right. Because all of my albums encompass me nodding and winking and going, here's a gag mm -hmm. or here's a bit of character. The stuff that I've done that's the dance track is every time my brain went, throw in a gag or mm -hmm. throw in a cheeky, I stopped. Mm -hmm. Now, this is this is the interesting thing for me is like, what is this next album for? Who is it for? I know we talked about this. Because I'm 46 now. Um, my records, my record sales, record sales for everybody on what they were. But I'm in that period in my career where, you know, I'm 46. I'm a middle aged pop star. Who am I doing this record for? Is it for me? And which bit of me wants... Are you answering? Yeah, exactly. Well, am I answering Do you know to? what I think? I don't think you have to figure it out yet. I always think with these things, you just let them sit and they kind of, they find themselves. Because the they are two different albums in there. Because the worthy stuff answers a call to me to go there. I, I did it. Mm -hmm. But the pop stuff answers a call to me going, isn't pop brilliant? Isn't it fun? Isn't it fun? Yeah. You know, so... It, it depends which hat that I have. Well, one's like a moodier hat and one's more a playful hat. Yeah, it's um, it's a really good problem to have. It's a great problem to have. Because whereas before I'd be kind of like searching for things that sound like hits, a, a I, loads of them have turned up. But now I don't even know if I'm in a position to have hits because the oxygen that's needed for everything to the machinery to go around gets taken away from you with sort of like radio play. And my audience don't stream as much as young people do anyway. So to make an impact, it's in incredibly difficult for me now to make a mark. That being said, I Love My Life off the last album was, was a hit. In I love terms. that song. But it's but it's interesting to of figure course. out because like you know, if the steam was behind me and I was just the march was happening with me pop. and for me, you do the me, pure pop. I do the I do the pure pop, uh, and that would make total sense. But I, it's just a conundrum we'll that I've out. got to figure out. You've yeah. got to figure it out. You don't have to figure it out today. That's the beauty of lockdown. There's no decision that has to be made. I think with both of them, do you think that? what's been happening in the world or or living in a different way has changed the kind of music you've made has it been an answer back to it or has it been has it been in 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 retaliation or in or in congruence with it has it been affected well because lockdown has happened and i do have a sort of I don't know, a conspiratorial nature no. that also feeds into a spiritual nature mm -hmm. too. And those bigger questions, where do we come from? Where do we go? Who are we? Who are we? Why do we exist? Mm -hmm. I would think that all my dance stuff has been born out of COVID mm -hmm. just because we are now at a time on the planet that we've never experienced before. And it throws up different shapes different angles and different thoughts if you let it if you can you know get all russell brand about it. i think if russell brand sat down to make a dance record it might sound like the thing that i've been doing and do you think with the pure pop because because it's been uncertain the kind of times when we'll emerge and when you can do live music and it, there's no like definitive time when this album comes out do you think you've been able to surrender in that way that you haven't had to look for the hit like I, as i said 
I don't think in your in the pure pop vein, you've been looking for the hit. You've been just organically creating great pop. Do you think because there hasn't been any expectation, because we've just kind of been in this kind of free fall where nothing's really happening on the outside world, you know? No, I'll tell you what it was. You know, like I was talking about earlier on the podcast with like, get this right or everyone dies. Mm-hmm. That's how I've written the last two to three albums. It's like, find this hit or it all goes to shit, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then when Party Like a Russian came out and went in at 88, mm-hmm. you know, the worst thing that I could have, that, you know, the thing that I was trying to not make happen, happened. Mm-hmm. What happened was I got that news on Friday and then Saturday was just Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing changed. I didn't hate myself or the world. I wasn't scared. I wasn't fearful for what had happened. And that was sort of like a release of rocks. It was like, oh, okay. Oh, I love that tune. Me too. Me too. And by the way, it was it is randomly like it is actually a hit. So I don't quite understand. It's it's made it's made an impression in consciousness, but actually in translation in physical translation, translation in yeah, in physical sales or whatever you like. Uh, it, it it hasn't, but people know that song exists. But what that has given me is a freedom now just to go, no pressure, mm-hmm. no pressure. I can just do, uh, and I, I write because I like writing. You love writing. Uh, and I, that that is the purpose is just to enjoy myself. So I think that I've got a lot more freedom than before. Don't you think that's changed as you've gotten older? Um, no, because like when the children arrived, it was sort of like get this right or you can't provide. And I know on on, on a uh, actual, in reality, that's not true. But try and tell that to the uh, prime broken, evil. Broken, scared soul. Well, the prime evil instinct yeah. of go out, protect, mm-hmm. and, 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 and make sure that you can provide for your family. Mm-hmm. So um, this album... I think will be a lot different than all the other ones because those those three when Teddy arrived were just like go 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 out make provide do quick ah they were so good though yeah hey, your listen. flight or fight flight mode is fantastic I'm very proud of them that just remind me of very fond memories of you singing candy during the candy video and it it had to I think it was like the week before I gave birth me being heavily pregnant and I just every time I hear candy it's a very magical thing for me because it kind of goes in line with the birth of our daughter and that all happening at the same time and uh candy makes me happy i don't know about you but i was really hoping robbie might bust out a little preview of some of those songs he's been working on maybe we can convince him for next time i'll have a word now by the time you're listening to this we may be in some form of lockdown still things are shifting all the time but 2020 has been the strangest year for all of us and perhaps we've learned a lot about ourselves too I, for one, feel my flatulence is perfectly fine and certainly nowhere near the frequency or dramatic nature that Robbie was discussing earlier, so that's a positive I'm taking away from this. Work-wise, we've all had some things cancelled and it's still taken some getting used to. The things that might have been, but now never were. What would you have been doing if we weren't for lockdown? You know, I'd love to be doing the shows that I do. I love, you know, I love being with my loose ladies. I love being on TV comedies. I love I love just working with funny, smart people, and I'd be doing more of that. What would you be doing, Robbie Limes? I would have had my residency in Vegas. Mm-hmm. I would have been doing gigs in Germany, too. Mm-hmm. There was gigs, actually. You had lots se- of gigs this year. Several gigs all over the world in different yeah. places. So 
I would say in the five months that we've not been able to do anything, I would have probably had two months of those five months of not being with you. Yeah. I like that. Wait, you like not being with us no, or you like I, that you have been with I us? I like the <laughs> fact that I didn't have to do yeah, that. Yeah, I like that too. And I wonder what it's going to be like getting back into the game. Do you think everyone's, I mean, this is really a question for everyone out there who's listening. You know, do you think all of us are going to kind of, is it going to be like babies learning to walk, you know, for the first time or again? Well, I remember when I took those three years off and I thought I'd retired. When I came back to do it again, it felt so unnatural. It wasn't like riding a bike. No. I felt as though I was walking left hand with left foot. It just felt like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't think it'll be like that. It'll feel weird. Like the first time I'm on set and there's other people and like booms, you know, mic booms and cameras, I think, and lights, it, it will feel very kind of disorientating and I'll feel like Bambi kind of feeling my way out. You know, I think there will be an element of nerves. In your perfect world, what would your perfect set of jobs be? Hmm. My perfect world. You know, I had a really great time. I, listen, all the jobs I've had, I've had a really great time. I mean, like, you know, when I'm on Loose Women, I love that I get to wake up with the kids, go to work, be with some funny women, talk about some interesting topics and some funny topics. And there's, you know, funny audience members. And I get to have a really great time and, and have that live feedback. And then I get to finish my work and go home and hang out with our kids and have dinner with them and, ha and get cozy with you. I love yeah, that. But what do you want to do? I, you know, listen, I want to just... I want to do lots of different things. I, I want to just keep hanging out with people that inspire me, that make me laugh and doing... Do you still want to be in a sitcom? Oh, yeah, that's been my... I have to say that was what I was going to get to is my favorite jobs or job that I ever had was being, you know, I've done lots of sitcom series and being in a sitcom series I think is my favorite thing to do because you get to be with funny people all day long and you get to tell funny jokes you know the material's always funny and it's you know being that character you know I've always been lucky to have fun characters and you know you're laughing at the stuff that you're saying in the persona and then you hear, and then you, you know you kind of practice all weekend and the schedule's great it's great for having a family because you know again you wake up with your kids you go to work you feel productive I feel like Ida me Ida not the mommy Ida not the wife Ida but just me Ida and I go you know I feel empowered in my comedy role and then I get to do it and then I get to come home and be with the kids. And then there's this like big game day, you know, which is like the live taping. It's like the big moment, you know, and you, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you, you practice in the morning, you rehearse and then the audience fills in and there's like, it's like you, I'm sure with a gig, it's like, it's electric, you're on, you know, now, now the lights are bright you, and you can't, you can't screw up the joke too many times because then they stop laughing because, you know, you can only do it two or three times before they don't think it's funny anymore. And you really have to respond to how they're responding. And sometimes they laugh at parts you didn't think they were going to. And you have to pace things differently. And I love the kind of game day feeling of that, you know, and it's intense. And you're in a team. I've always liked team sports. I've never liked individual sports. And um, I like the, the live team game that's happening. It's my version of football. Feel free to ask me any questions during this podcast. Okay, piss off. I thought you asked me the question, so I was answering it. Yeah, and yeah. now I was going to ask you the very same question. Okay, then do it. Okay. What kind of work would you like to be doing right now? I'd like a big television show 
like a huge franchise. Like that, a comedy or a performance show? Or well, what I'd like to do a bit of everything. I'd like to get my jollies off with a bit of comedy. Not in like sort of half past seven Saturday night kind of way. Like a half past ten Channel 4 Ooh, kind like of way. Oh, like naughty humor. Yeah, like naughty humor. But I would also like to have a finger in a pie where I could be half past seven on a Saturday night too. So would you be wanting to do the same show or different shows? Different shows. I want to get into TV. I want to scratch. What is that it about? Itch. What is it about? I mean, I don't want to scratch the itch of singing um, because I'm not good at it. But what is it about TV that you that kind of turns you on, or comedy that turns you on? I know what it is for me, but what is it for you? It's the going up the rope without a carabiner and without a uh, a safety net. And I found that out at the X Factor. You know, it was so much fun and so buzzy and mm-hmm. so... Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Unsafe. Yeah, it was totally unsafe. It, it was free-falling. Yeah, it was kind of anarchic in yeah. its kind of sensibilities where this could... Or you, you are being judged by literally millions of people and one syllable out of line can cause an international incident. I know, and it's live. That's but so that's exciting, fun. isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're both so sick. We're like, how fun is that? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like that cannonball experience we're talking about with birth and adulthood. It's like you are really, you can't simulate the experience and you can't backtrack if you get it wrong. It's kind of like there's one go at it and it's in front of lots of people. I'd like this podcast to take wings and uh-huh. branch off into several different places too. So I'm very excited. That ex- would be fun. I'm very excited. There's different residences hey, around. Hey, I have an idea. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm just saying I had an idea. How cool would be to do this podcast in front of an audience? This podcast would be great in front of an audience. Should we do that one day? Staying at home outside, outside the home with Williamses. <laughs> Staying at the home outside the home with the Williamses. That'd be Let's really do good. that one day. Let's. We can ask audience questions. We can have them ask us stuff. Yeah, do Q and A's. Yes. Okay. Was that worth the interruption? That's worth the interruption. Touch. Love it. Yeah, let's do that. To recap then, the Williamses are branching out. Ida wants to be in a sitcom. I love a good sitcom and we all need a laugh more than ever, I'd say. So let's please make that happen. Here's a thought. I think writers might take inspiration from some of the content we've heard here over the past weeks. Then Robbie wants not one, but two TV shows, one naughtier than the other. Again, I can totally see that. Let's not forget the appearance of Nobby Williams back in episode two. And finally, this podcast needs to go out on the road. The Williams is unleashed live. It'd totally be a liability, but where's the fun without a bit of risk? Thank you very much for listening to Staying at Home with the Williamses. We're having a lot of fun making these for you and for us. Uh, Please send us suggestions about what you would like us to talk about. Also, Ida has her own podcast by her very own self, and it's called Postcards from the Edge. Oh, thank you, Robert Williams. I thank you for the plug and the love. The plug and the love. That might be a euphemism. Who knows? That's it for another episode, where yet again we have learned a lot. Some we can't unlearn. I'll refer you back to the shitty start. But you've got to take the rough with the smooth when you're staying at home with the Williamses. Mm-hmm.